0: Welcome to the Contractor Success Forum. In this episode, we are talking about overbilling, which is a great thing for cash flow if you've been acting as a bank for your customer. But there are potential drawbacks, and we will kick around the pros and cons today. So if that's of interest, stick around. Let's get into it. If you're new here, I'm Wade Carpenter with Carpenter Company CPAs. Here with me is my co-host, Stephen Brown with McDaniel, Whitley, Bonding, and Insurance. Stephen, what is overbilling,
1: and what are we talking about today? Well, overbilling is... A very interesting thing to bond underwriters, and I'm in the surety business, Wade. Overbilling brings up so many different questions when it's being reviewed. I mean, on the one hand, if you can be overbilled and get paid early uh, and get ahead of the game when you know that the payments are notoriously slow, that's a good thing. But if you overbill and you get a bunch of cash in and use that to pay for other projects that aren't performing as well, the term we use is Robin Peter to pay Paul and right. your term as an account would probably be job borrow, but that's a term that the underwriters use to job borrow. So in other words, you're taking money on one job and spending it on another that you're losing money on. And at some point it catches up. So that's the scary part of overbilling.
0: I think we just need to define that. And I think everybody generally knows what we're talking about, but overbilling is where you build ahead on a job, say you're 50% complete, but you build 70% of the job. And there's reasons for that. There's, especially with COVID, a lot of the, the supply chain got messed up and a lot of people had to go order materials and if they're properly showing stored materials, right, that's fine. But if not, it can look like to a bonding company, some people are borrowing to pay for the last job with the current job. Mm-hmm. And it becomes vicious cycles. I think that was your concern in talking about this, was it not?
1: Yes, it was. It clearly shows up on financial statements, billings and excess of cost, and that's a counter asset. So that shows up as a liability, right, Wade? Right. right. And it's all designed to even things out. You're yep. for this. You build this. So, in an overbilling situation or billings in excess of cost, counting term. What scenarios might arise that there would be an overbilling? I guess that's
0: where I could get into some stories. I used to do a lot of utility contractors, and if they were buying pipe, that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I've had some where they would buy the pipe up front for the job, mm-hmm. and they would be able to bill for the stored materials, but really shouldn't be able to bill for their profit on stuff like that. And right. if you show it properly on a financial statement, that can explain it. I have a, they do about 150 million a year. They have one division that does schools is 120 million a year and they're a May year end and obviously for schools, they do a lot of the building when the kids are out of school, right? So these people have gotten known for doing quality work, but these school boards apparently take off in the summer and for them to get paid, they have to go ahead and bill up front for these jobs and they actually go ahead and pay them upfront. So on these audited financial statements, believe it or not, some years we were showing $12 million overbilled on a May statement. Oh, wow. 12 million is a lot of money, but they can burn off a lot of that in two months time. But we had to explain to the bonding companies like, yeah, no, they're not really borrowing from Peter to pay Paul on this case. They had solid Mm -hmm. equity and stuff like that. But in that situation, you can understand it. When you start borrowing and billing ahead and your owner doesn't know and you really are floating, we all want to stop being the bank for our customers,
1: but there's a point where it becomes a problem, right? It does, especially if your mindset as a contractor is to try to hoard cash because you know you're in trouble. Yeah.
0: Hoarding cash is one thing, but again, I see it where people will bill on the next job. And then I, I think from the bonding company, obviously. You're worried about you borrow from the job and then something happens to that contractor and they skip out and they've taken all the money and then you've got to finish it. And there's no cash left in the job to do it.
1: Right. And I'm not saying that front-loading a job isn't a good business practice, but that's usually in a situation where you have upfront costs where you make your main profit. For example, you're a general contractor and you're building a building and you can do all the dirt and concrete, for example. Right. So that's getting in early and getting things done, getting the foundation done. You can do it with your own forces and you can front load the cost of that. Other situations as a subcontractor, a demolition contractor on a project as a sub would be paid first and maybe interior finish contractor would be paid last in the project. So you have to always think about whether the money's going to be there to pay you as you bill as well. So overbilling is not bad. And overbilling is not good. What is it? There is
0: a point where it can be too much. And I know we were just talking about a situation you had where you were kicking around with the underwriter. And I know I've got some measures that I looked at. From an underwriter standpoint, I know you used to do underwriting for bonds as well. Mm -hmm.
1: How do you look at it? They generally, if their contractor is doing it and they traditionally hold profit on their jobs, then they're for it. They're like, if you can do it, why not? Why not take someone else's money and make interest on it? Right. That's their thought. But if that contractor has a tradition of profit fades, which means the profit that they originally estimated on the job versus where it is now, and they see a lot of overbillings, they get concerned. Right. When
0: I look at a contractor, one of the measures we have is look at overbilling as a percentage of revenue. Are Mm there other tests and things like that
1: you look at or your underwriters look at that saying is... I think that's a key performance indicator For that's a good one. Your overbillings to your equity can tell you a lot. So let's just take a ratio number of overbillings to equity that might be a concern to you or to a bonding company. It would be in a situation where you have a higher number. So the closer to one... If it was over one, it would be terrifying, right? Oh, of course.
0: Yeah, because more than usually 20, 30%, people start getting nervous. Oh, yeah. Um, So a three over 10 ratio, so to speak, right? Yeah, something like that. But as far as the way I would look at it, if you can explain it, and exactly the same thing you said in that situation, the contractor that I was talking about that got $12 million overbilled, they actually tried to be conservative on their jobs because... They were also on percentage of completion for tax purposes. So obviously they tried to go the other way and the bonding company loved it because number one, we're being conservative. They knew exactly why they were getting overbilled. Otherwise as a percentage they still had some equity there, but it was a scary thing was like, Hey, we're $12 million cash up front, which is great, but they've got a a lot of stuff out
1: there that they got to complete to finish that out. I can just tell you, especially during COVID, it was absolutely crazy how much we were insuring as an insurance agent, stored properties for contractors. Amazing amounts of stored property. So everybody was freaking out over the delivery of their materials and snatching them up, pipe salesmen, other folks were trying to take care of their best customers during this short-term nightmare. So if you didn't have that kind of relationship built up, It was really hurting you financially, or if your project manager forgot to order the materials till after the job started, that turned into a nightmare for a lot of our customers, that type of scenario. So what about change orders being unrecorded, human errors, miscommunication? What kind of examples might lead to overbilling from a human fault standpoint?
0: As you said, change orders is a great example because if you have a unapproved change order that's not put into the job, it can also look like you're way overbilled when you maybe be, maybe you're not as overbilled or not overbilled at all, but you've got a huge change order that just hasn't been signed and approved. That's not supposed to go on the financial statement yet, but until you got a signed change order, you may have to go and explain that to your bond agent so that they can take that to the underwriter. There could be several other things that, as I said, that one with pipe I saw a lot. During COVID, some of my electrical contractors, the electrical stuff can be very expensive. And some of the ones doing, whether they were doing commercial jobs or residential jobs, they were having to order electrical parts anywhere they could get them. And so it became a huge problem. But on stored materials, as I said before, a lot of people just throw that into their the percent complete and don't back out the stored materials. And if you look at the AIA billing form, they do have a thing where it says, plus subtracting out the stored materials and then adding them back in. So if you start recognizing profit based on stuff that you've got stored materials on, it can definitely look like it's overbuilt even when it's really not. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess from a general contractor's point of view, if you've bonded your subcontractors back and they want to overbill and the owner's willing to pay, why not? Why not make your sub happy? But in a situation where the billings don't justify the amount of work that's been performed, that's just usually thrown out, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And again, we also see sometimes that contractors, unfortunately, don't have really good job costing records. And as much as we try to get good percent complete, A lot of these guys really are not tracking that very well. If they're not tracking their job costs, they really, they have some kind of gut feel for how they're doing. They have a gut feel like I'm 70% done, but they've really only got 50% of the costs in, Mm -hmm. then it really can look very distorted if you've got somebody that can't bid as well. And I think you also see that what you brought up before in looking back at, are these jobs having fades from one
1: year to the next. Yeah. I had a customer once that went to an auction and went crazy and he felt like he was getting fabulous deals on this equipment and he bought a whole lot of it. He was overbilling like crazy to help finance that equipment. And his logic was, well, I'm going to be using it on these jobs. Oh yeah. It was a mess for the accountant to figure out, but so there's a lot of reason for overbilling. You that never... just
0: brings back another story to me. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So- had another grading contractor, this was back before 2008, is doing a large project with a Walmart shopping center, the whole development, their grading part of it was over $20 million job. And it was a point where all the other contractors had no work in 2008, eight, nine, ten. 10. After that, all this equipment got dumped on the market and he had it in his brain that, hey, I can get this stuff cheap. And I've got this one job that'll carry me through and everything else is going to be hunky dory. And so he bought all this equipment. He was actually charging it to the job and they let him and a lot of the stuff came out later, but you know, after that job was done and when that equipment sits idle, that is a cash flow killer. Cause he still had payments on it and he kept justifying that, Hey, my monthly payment is not as much as the rent would be. So he justified it in his mind. But once you're thinking about insuring those and maintaining that heavy equipment, that can add up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I'm sure his bonding agent underwriter weren't too pleased with it. First of all, bonding underwriters don't look at equipment for what they bond you for. They look at working capital cash. And so he's going to show that he lost money on that. But look, I have a lot of equipment. But then Mm -hmm. you've also depreciated it half off the books the first year or as fast as you can, hopefully. So you get in kind of an upside down situation and the answer to the bond owner, Oh, you did that. Why did you do that? It was a great deal. And you honestly thought this job could pay for all of this equipment or just the equipment rental cost would be half based on your notes. Anyway, I can't imagine all the questions they had.
0: They did. And actually. Again, some of these stories from 2008 still resonate in my mind, but that contractor, unfortunately, he was doing 50, 60 million. He did not survive. He thought he had this $20 million job and it was going to carry him through. And when
1: all that came to an end, he came to an end,
0: unfortunately.
1: So he should have been concentrating on what all along to survive in retrospect. I think that
0: may lead into the next episode we're going to do on pricing properly and knowing your job cost and overhead, because that's a constant problem with contractors. And they, even if they are doing some kind of job costing, they never understand what their overhead is. Mm -hmm. They never seem to get that number to their estimator whoever's estimating the job or they're trying to get the job and they cut the price or whatever, but they don't understand the factors that go into bidding a job. I see it all the time. And. There is a happy medium between, we got to get some work to survive, but if you're going to put yourself in bankruptcy because you're underbidding it, I've got some stories there and I don't want to launch into it. <laughs> let's, but...
1: let's roll on into our next podcast. I think we've touched the pros and cons of overbilling adequately. Have we missed anything, Wade?
0: No, not that I can
1: think of. Kind of summarizing overbilling good, overbilling bad, what's the answer? The answer is overbilling is good. When you know what you're doing and you're strategic about it, overbilling is bad. When you're looking at it as an option to solve other problems that you have, how's that, Wade? That sounds
0: great. That's a
1: great summary of it. Okay,
0: thank you all for listening to the Contractor Success Forum. If you're listening on a podcast somewhere, check out the show notes at ContractorSuccessForum.com or the Carpenter CPAs YouTube channel. Consider subscribing to this channel. Follow us each week. And we will look forward to seeing you on the next show.